Okay, we are in the book of Hebrews, the, almost the last part of the book of Hebrews. And if you have a Bible with you, turn to Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 21. 20 through 21. And I'm sure it's up uh, behind me, but if you do have a Bible, Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Father God, you breathe this passage uh, into our into print through the writers of the Bible, and we believe your word is true, it's inerrant, it's infallible, and it's original manuscripts, it's, it is uh, inspired by you. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Lord, what we want to do is we want to be spoken to, you, by, to by you this morning through this word. This is not just ink on paper, it's a divine document, and you wrote it to give us uh, challenges and comfort and everything in between. I, I, I just, for all the invisible things happening right now in the spiritual world, the conflicts and the entities that would block the understanding of your word to our hearts, just clear this room, clear this, our minds that are so occupied with so many things all the time. Help us to listen, to focus, to concentrate, and to hear your voice through this inspired word. Um, thank you, Lord, for the, the wonderful search committee that we have. They have labored for a long time, and they are praying, and they are hoping and, and trusting in you, Lord, that you will guide them in a divine way. We pray that for them and for our church that, uh, that we would be out, get out of your way, and hear your spirit lead us and lead the right person to us, and not because we want to uh, monopolize on someone's talents and use them as, a, as, as, as the guy that does everything. No, we want a, the person of your choice for this growing community to use Cedar Home Baptist Church as a light and as an outreach center, a hospital, an army, a place where a kingdom work is done, being done. Lord, we pray that for our church. We want our potential maximized. And we pray that you would match us up with a person that will not be a come a hindrance or, or, or a mismatch, but someone who falls in love with our church and our area and who, is, who loves the Lord Jesus Christ with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And um, you can do that. You will do that as we trust you. But get us out of your way. Help us to hear you, see you, and, and enjoy uh, the, the process of hiring our new pastor. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that, that uh, if we trust in you with all our hearts and not lean on our own understanding, if we acknowledge you in all our ways, you promise you will direct our paths. Thank you for that, Lord. And I just do pray, God, right now for um, the person here today that feels alone and lonely. They might have a huge family or a huge group of friends, but inside that circle they just feel like they're struggling with things, a battle that nobody else knows about. I pray for that person today, Lord. I pray for them to feel your comfort and your direction and your peace. And Lord, I pray for that person who's proud and stubborn and thinks that, that, that they've captured um, everything there is to know about the Christian life that you would show them that they haven't even put their toe in the water and that they need to be humbled and so that, they can, so that you can lift them up and give them the enjoyment of true Christianity. And Father, again, I do thank you for each person here today, whether they need to be comforted or afflicted, challenged or um, 
given tender care for that individual here today that just came to hear something that you have for them. Just open their hearts to that. We love you, Lord. You are so good to us. You are our vision. And keep us focused on you, the anchor of our souls, Jesus. And use this word today to take us forward in our commitment to you, Christ. We ask these things in your precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Okay, Hebrews 13 and uh, 20 through 21. Uh, And this would be called uh, the benediction uh, to the book of Hebrews or of the book of Hebrews. The word benediction comes from the Latin, and it means to speak well of or to to, of a, getting a blessing. And so the, the purpose of a benediction of a book in the Bible is to offer a blessing to the people that have, that it's been addressed to, and then people like us who, have, who read the book. Okay? Now, benedictions have played a huge part in the life of the church for over 2,000 years. Actually, since the Bible was recorded in the Old Testament, Benedictions are an important part of church history, and even and in the Old Testament also. Uh, when I was a, a senior in high school and a college student in Lansing, Michigan, I went to a church, uh, and uh, the pastor would finish with a benediction every single Sunday. And the benediction was Jude 24 through 25. A well-known benediction is probably being used right now as we speak by many pastors throughout our country. But I still, almost 50 years later, remember this benediction by heart because it it happened every Sunday. But here it is, and he did it in the King James. Uh, But he said, now he would stand after the choir saying their little thing at the end, and he would stand and say, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. And 50, almost 50 years later, I could, I could almost remember that by heart because I heard it every Sunday. Power of a benediction roots down into your soul. And there's a lot of good benedictions. In fact, oh, let me ask you this. How many people that haven't always gone to church here, or maybe it's before I got here, back in 86, um, had a benediction at the end of their services? Yeah, probably about half people here. And I, I, I've been reading this and thinking, why didn't I do that? It's too late now. Because I really think it's a cool thing. But anyway, there's, there's another benediction back in the, in the book of Numbers that I think uh, a lot of pastors use. Numbers 6 and 24, 25, and 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. How many had that? Yep, that's what I thought. There's so many great benedictions. Romans, uh, first, second Corinthians, first Corinthians, second Corinthians. I could read them all, but this is the benediction to the Hebrews. Now let's read it uh, as I read it. Follow along. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back Jesus from the dead, our, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great Shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will, and may He work in us what is pleasing to Him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, well-known, a much-used benediction by pastors throughout history. And uh, just remember that this is written to a bunch of Jewish Christians who are at risk. At risk 
because they had received Christ as their Lord and Savior, and now more rejection and persecution was on the horizon, and the writer is saying, I want you to remember these last words, okay? Because they were tempted to go back to their previous religion, were more comfortable, more socially acceptable, less of a burden, you know, and today, you know, it's happening in churches all over America. And uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine on the phone. He said, COVID didn't uh, create uh, things. It just pushed to the surface the things that were already there. Right? And so some people have just, you know, used the COVID as an exit strategy. Not everybody, but, and, 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 and it's tough. It's a tough world to be a Christian in. Boy, I tell you what, I, I see this. I'm, I'm going way off, way off course here this morning. But I am seeing Christians being vilified in a way that I've never seen it before today. How many people understand what I'm saying? It's the Christians. It, it subtly reminds me of ancient Rome. And so he's writing this to encourage them as persecution is on the horizon. And what he does in this benediction, he, it, he, he talks about God in four ways. Okay, four ways that we need to understand, things that we need to understand about God. And the first thing he talks about is the God of peace in verse 20. If you notice, may the God of peace. And so he makes a statement about God, and he's the God of peace. So I think a lot of times when we talk about God or we think about God out there in the world and unfortunately inside the church. We don't think of God as a God of peace. We think sometimes God's a, a meanie and, or angry or a God of punishment or even wrath and that he's out to, to really punish people. But the scriptures never talk about the wrath of God being his nature. God's, you would not know that, by the way, some people, pe- preachers preach it, but God is not a God of wrath. Never in the scriptures is it talk, is the God of wrath used in that it's his nature to be wrathful. Thank goodness, amen? That's not his nature. It's not his nature. God's nature is for the, well, that's a huge, <laughs> we're not going to solve that today, but he is the God of peace. He's a peacemaker, okay? And uh, here in verse 20, he's described as the God of peace. Now, there are lots of pieces, God pieces, that there are. There's, there's the God of peace. There's the God who uh, makes peace. There's lots of different ways that we can talk about the peace of God. But here it's talking about the God of peace. Now, this is not the internal peace that we can have with God when we're uh, struggling through problems. The Bible does, however, promise that we can be, you ready for this word? Tranquil. Isn't that, you, how, how often do we hear that word? Rarely. But we can be, in, even in our problems, and I can testify to this personally, because believe it or not, I've had problems, okay? And some of them have been so intense uh, some of them in ministry through our travels and, and, and so on. And they've been so intense and the tranquility of God seems like a million miles away. But God is the God that will give us peace. Well, what's the verse, right? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. 
Be anxious for what? That's a high bar, isn't it? Be anxious for nothing. Some of us think, I've never had that. Be anxious for nothing? But in everything with prayer and petition and what? Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? The peace of God, which passes all comprehension, all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And look up here. Look up here. I want you to see, see Mitch for a second. Mitch has been, and like you, Mitch has been in intense difficulties. And I have, and it takes, it takes concentration, but I have taken that verse and wrapped my anxiety-ridden brain and heart around it, and in a supernatural way, at his time, God gives me tranquility in the midst of troubles, trials, tribulations, and, and difficulties. This verse, tried and true, will take you past your anxiety and into tranquility and calm and the supernatural peace of God. But that's not what it means here. Okay? But I couldn't help but talk about that because it's so good. Um, Because I love that. I'll tell you what. I didn't believe it was true at times, but God will meet us right where we live. It'll get us to the storms of life with inner peace and tranquility. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here, here is not the peace of God, but the what? The God of peace. Not the peace of God, but the God of peace. Okay? And what is the God of peace? God, can I say this out loud? God loves peace. Did you know that? God loves peace peace. He does not want an adversarial relationship with humanity. He wants peace. He wants what the theologians would call reconciliatory peace, peace that reconciles sinners with himself. God wants that because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem to bear each and every one of our sins and to provide through faith a reconciliation for us between himself and sinful humanity. God, through the the cross of Christ, um, solved the greatest dilemma in history. And that is the separation between a sinful man or woman and a holy God. God loves peace. He loves to be reconciled with fallen humanity. Otherwise, he wouldn't have sent his son to die. Okay? Um, And so he wanted the, the, the Hebrews here to know that God wanted to be together with them through their faith in Christ and not turn back to that lousy, stinking, boring, exhausting religious system of legalism. God hates legalism. He hates us trying to earn favor with him by our own efforts. 
in our own religion. He wants peace with us. Isn't that great? God is a God of peace. And that's the first thing he's trying to convince these um, uh, uh, believers here or those that are starting to go, you know, I want to go back. This is hard. You go back to that system, you'll never have peace with God. How can you? You're under a religious system of works. How many works does it take to get peace with God? There aren't enough. But there is peace with God through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Isn't that what we're here for today? To celebrate together as a body that we're at peace with God? I, I love sitting in the front row or close to the front row. I'm not going to get radical and sit right there in the front row, but I'm in the third row. But I love having you guys sing over me, over my head, because I sing with you, and we're, we're at peace with God, and God is at peace with us. He holds nothing against us because of Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. All right, better get going. Got, got three more to go. So in the benediction... Boy, I could have made a whole sermon about this. But anyway, in the benediction, it's, he's telling the Hebrew believers, may the God of peace, the God who loves peace between fallen man and himself, so much that he gave his only perfect son to become our substitute with all the infractions and sins and violations of his holy character and law on Jesus. So after Jesus rose by his grace, reconciled to him. But God is also a God of protection. Look at verse 20. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, could you say that with me? Through the blood of the eternal covenant. I wanted the word eternal to roll off your tongue this morning. Okay? Note, this is, doesn't say uh, the blood of the new covenant. Did you notice that? It's through the blood of the eternal covenant. And we talk about the new covenant all through the book of Hebrews. And then we get to the end here, and he doesn't use the word new covenant or phrase. He uses the word eternal covenant. Now, what's the difference? Well, it's obviously the new covenant is wonderful. The new covenant, we, we hear about it in Jeremiah and other, excuse me, prophecies and, pro, uh, and promises in the Old Testament. And we repeat it. We're going to do that shortly uh, over communion. Oh, here it is. I'm pounding back there for some reason. Over communion. And, um, and, 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 but we're, not, but we're going to say the new covenant because we're going to celebrate the nature of the new covenant. And I'll repeat verses out of 1 Corinthians 11, and we'll talk about the nature of the new covenant that Christ shed his blood for our sins on the cross. God in human flesh. Believe it or not. God in human flesh. The faultless, sinless Savior uh, shed his blood, his holy, sacred blood to forgive us of our sins. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about the nature of the covenant and get ready, fasten your seatbelts. He's talking about the duration of the covenant, the length of it. Not the nature, but the duration. How long is the duration of the new covenant between God and the believer? How long is it? What does it say? 
It's eternal. It never ends. Never. If you're a Christian, the new covenant, <coughs> excuse me, for you is everlasting. You can't sin your way out of it. Nor can I. Well, maybe I can, but you guys can. <coughs> okay. Isn't that good news? And we talk about the new covenant, new covenant, new covenant. How about the eternal nature of the new covenant? For starters, our full forgiveness and reconciliation with God can't be accomplished by the blood of animal sacrifices or by our, <coughs> excuse me, good works or our um, obedience to God. Can't do it. We, we, we fall short. Okay? We fall short. They're only temporary. Okay? Why? Because we're sinners. By nature, we're sinners. We're told that we inherited a fallen, sinful nature from Adam and his sin. We're incapable of getting to God on our own. We, we can't earn our salvation. It can only come through the atonement of Christ and the grace of God, okay, as we trust him. But when we do, and God applies the blood of his son on us and implants and imparts to us Christ's righteousness that covers us, Listen, you guys, that's eternal. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's eternal. It never ends. It doesn't matter. It's eternal. Okay? What does that mean, that the, the blood of the covenant for us as Christians is eternal? It means it's not only sufficient it's eternally satisfactory to who? To God. And God, listen, guys, I don't care. I don't, it doesn't matter how you feel or I feel about myself. It is you, the, you, God is eternally satisfied with you as you are because you're in his sight covered with the blood and righteousness of Christ. And that can never change. And guess who wants to keep that from the church? Satan. Because when churches get a hold of that, it's revival. How can you not tell a person that when you know it yourself? You can't. You can't not share that. Okay. Just, just for grins and giggles, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 7. Because we read, we... Uh, we went through this back in the day, back five years ago when I started Hebrews. But look at verses 23, 24, and 25 of Hebrews chapter 7. Now we have, there have been many of those priests, human, mortal priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office because people die. I don't know if you knew that, okay? I'm doing two memorials in the next two, two three weeks. I do memorials all the time. Because people die. But listen to this. Now, since there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a pre permanent priesthood, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Always. Do you know what Christ is doing for you and me every day? 
He's interceding for us. Now, how does he do that with millions of people? Well, he does it because he's outside of time. And a thousand years to God is one day, and one day is a thousand years. But when Mitch biffs it big time, every three or four years or so, and, uh, well, I mean, days, hours, there is Christ interceding for me on the basis of his eternal covenant. He, he's, he's protecting me. And he, and he tells Satan, go take a hike. And he testifies to God the Father, there is the, my blood. And God the Father says, yes, I know. And Mitch is just fine. God protects us. Okay, now I'm going to say something. It almost sounds like heresy, but I'm going to say it anyway. We can't sin too much to get out of the, the blood-atoning protection of God. You can't go out and sin too much. You can't. You say, hey, good news, right? Let's go party, you know? If you say that, then I would doubt your salvation. <laughs> because what we should say is, thank God. Right? Thank God. That mean thought, that gossip, that feelings of anger, lust, covetousness, those feelings of anger, those uh, um, attitudes and actions of sin, God's protecting us from that through the blood of Jesus. He intercedes forever. What a glorious blessing it is for Christians. It's good news. The permanent covenant of grace. Now, if you're not a Christian, okay, um, think about this. Maybe you don't know the Lord. You can't sin enough to fall short or, or to disqualify yourself from God's grace. Somebody said, well, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. Is it greater than the blood of Christ? It's, it's not. And if you trust Christ by faith, through God's grace, and receive him as Lord and Savior of your life, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. And so God protects us all the time. So when you blow it, as we all do, don't, you know, think you're going to get struck with a lightning bolt. Now, God may give us parent, parental discipline. I'm not going to say he won't. But he, for, Christ forever uh, intercedes for us. He protects us. He protects us from losing our salvation. The Bible is clear. We are eternally secure once we're saved. The question is, am I, not, am I eternally secure once I'm saved? Or the question is, am I saved to begin with? We need to make sure of that. But once you're saved, God protects us, regardless of what we've done in the past, present, or future. Now, our, our, we'll talk about this at the very end of the sermon here, but our desire should be to love and please him when, we've, when we know that, right? I mean, when we've been given that much, shouldn't our heart go, oh, God, how can I thank you and, 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 and just reciprocate, right? Not like, all right, party on. No. And so God is a God of peace and protection, but he's also a God of power. He's also a God of power. Look at verse 20 again. Express, uh, I'll just read because it's, um, 
you know, so short, so I can read it again. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. God's a God of power. First, the power to raise the dead, his son. The power to raise Jesus physically, bodily, from the dead. The greatest evidence of divine power in the universe is not God's creation. Although that's quite a handful. In fact, somebody was telling me this morning, I'm not going to mention Willie's name, but um, uh, said he's got night vision glass. Where are you, Will? He's, oh, <laughs> too bad. I, he's got night vision. Sorry, it's about out. You didn't tell me to keep it to myself. And he's, he wants to lend me these so I can go out at night and see the stars in a way I've never seen them before. I guess they're magnified through that, or you can see them clearer or whatever. I can't wait to do that because I love the universe. But that's, that's a drop in the bucket to God's power to raise his own son from the dead after bearing the sins of the world. He's a God of power because he rose our Lord Jesus, the God-man from the dead. He's a God of power because he shepherds us. He, sh- he says, the, who brought from back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. Do you know what it takes power to shepherd? Especially sheep like us. I was reading this guy who is a shepherd this week and who is also a Christian and wrote a book on sheep. And I didn't, I, he describes sheep in not a very complimentary way, okay? Uh, the closest I've ever gotten to a sheep is the south end of a northbound sheep. Is basically, that's the closest I've ever got to, right? But he says sheep are really, really dumb. And they need shepherding. And they're helpless. And sometimes they're stupid and rebellious. And if they fall on their back, they can't get up. They blindly follow other sheep. Is that, am I right about those of you that have... Some of you have worked with sheep or led sheep or whatever. They're helpless. And yeah, if they fall on their back, they can't get up. But they blindly follow other sheep. They get in all kinds of situations. But we have the power of an eternal shepherd watching out for us. Do you know that every day God is shepherding you? Every day. You say, no, no, the whole church. No, no, yeah, but you. Think about where you'd be without God shepherding you. We'd be like sheep scattered, probably eaten by a predator of some kind. And I've been told that, that the sheep in, that are shepherded in uh, Israel, sometimes the shepherd has to break their leg because like, one of the more rebellious ones, he has to break their leg so that they won't wander. Ever have a broken leg from God? I've had a couple. Um, I've had a couple broken arms. Uh, why? Because God's saying, don't do that. Get back here. Get back in the flock, okay? But God's shepherding you right now. He shepherds you when you're driving, when you're walking, when you're in conflict, when you feel hopeless or empty or, or angry or, or upset. God is shepherding you to get you in this, and keep you in the flock. 
And that's all you need to know. A little boy was assigned Psalm 23.1 for the Sunday school program, but he couldn't remember the whole verse, and so he got up and said, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I know. <laughs> and really, isn't that all we need to know? That every day, the awesome, infinite God, a creator of the universe, is personally shepherding each one of us? And if we lay down and, and yield willingly, willingly our will and our problems and our, our bailiwicks to him, he will shepherd us to where we need to go. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. God's our shepherd. He has po power to rise and to shepherd. And he has power to equip. Verse 21. Yes, I'm getting to the next verse. Verse 21 to equip you with everything good for doing his will. You are going to love this. Because normally when we think of the word equip, it's something that, that helps us do something. All right? But you know what that word can mean in the original language? That can mean it was used by physicians to set a broken bone. It was used by fishermen to mend the nets. Now, this is what I think I can legitimately preach from this. As Christians, God, <clears throat> excuse me, will do the repair work for our mistakes. And if that's not good news, you're dead today. <laughs> right? What a fantastic promise. <clears throat> and I've, I've been the recipient of this. When God, and, and the word equip, I'll just say this, it means, it can mean to mend or to repair, to make something capable of use or useful, or to put back into place. Maybe you think you've blown it too much in the past, and you think God can't repair God can't set me in a new direction. God can't, God can't, I can't be usable to God because of what I did or said. Even as a believer, I've just too much water under the bridge. And God says, you give me that. You give me that 100%, and I have power, and I can repair that, and I can make you useful again. Just trust me, I'll fix it right before your very eyes. Has anybody ever been there? I, I have, where I thought, I blew it beyond repair, but God put me on my face and, and, and repaired it right in front of me. Not, you know, not, not like that, but, you know, piece by piece. It's the most, one of the most wonderful things to experience as a Christian is blowing it and then giving it to God and watch him mend the nets, set the bone. And he'll equip us, this is good, with everything good, He'll put all the pieces back together again to help us move forward for doing his will. Guys, when we've failed, it's really hard to concentrate on doing God's will, isn't it? Because you're so caught up in, in regret or, or, or you're, you're mad at yourself or, or you feel like you've really messed up. And God's saying, I want to take you past the regret and past the sense of failure back into the race. And I don't know what you brought into church today, but God can take you and mend your nets and set your bone 
and repair what you've done in some way or in another and move you forward if you hand it off to him. That's the hard part, isn't it? Because we're fixers. And then he has power to work in us. And this is really great. Verse 21, he has power to equip you with everything good for doing as well. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. What a great promise. He has power to work in us. Power to do what's pleasing to him in and through us. And he'll do that. And you may not feel up today, up to facing your circumstances. Some of you've got circumstances, or you have some unknowns. And you just, you don't know yet. You, you're not that far into the future. Okay, or, 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 or you have some temptations but God the Father and Christ's indwelling resurrection power enables us to face whatever problem we are facing and walk through it. That's what Christ's enabling power that dwells within us is for, to get us through what we face. It's not up to us. And really, in a nutshell, that's the Christian life. That's taken me all my life to learn, and I'm still learning it to surrender to the indwelling resurrection power of Christ and not fret. I like that word fret. It sounds like what it is. I've had people say that to me. I'm fretting about this. And I go, you know, I just like the word. It's just fret, okay? God says, don't fret. Come to me because I will give you everything. I'll work in you what is pleasing to me through Jesus Christ. Think about it this way. We're all passengers on a jumbo jet, right? A big jet, and we're, we're going to go to our destination, and we sit down, and, and the captain turns on the buckle your seatbelt sign, and we, we got to the airport. We got parking. Um, we got our bags checked in. Whew, there. And we're relaxing, and the pilot says, you know, we're going to take off, put your seatbelt on, blah, blah, blah. And then some guy comes in and sits next to you. You're in the middle, and he says hi, and you say hi, and, um, and, 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 the, and so you, the plane starts to taxi down the runway, and the guy unbuckles his seat, he stands in the aisle, and he starts flapping his arms. Lots of strange things are happening on airplanes lately, aren't they? And he starts flapping his arms, and you're going, uh, sir, uh, <clears throat> what are you doing? You? And you're thinking, this guy's a wingnut. What am I going to do? And the stewardess comes up, and he says, sir, you need to get in your seat and fasten your seat. He says, i got to flap my arms. He says, how else are we going to take off and get to our destination? And, and we're, we're, just, we're the same as that guy flapping our arms if we don't let the resurrection power of Christ enable us to live the Christian life. The Christian life, one person said, it's not difficult, it's impossible. You and I can't do it. But Christ can do it through us, in us. Quit flapping your wings, sit in your seat, buckle your seatbelt, open your magazine, read, chew on some of those lousy snacks they give you as, they, as you're on your flight, and just relax. because we're not competent to live the Christian life. But we have the resurrection life of Christ to live in us and through us. We have this treasure, this power, right? 
this treasure, this, this power of Christ. How many of you have heard of the publisher uh, William Randolph Hearst? Yeah, he was a rich, he was rich. He was a publisher, correct? Was he a, the, did he own the New York Times or uh, L.A. Times or some big paper? Anyway, he had money. San Francisco, thank you. And um, he, he, was, he was very, very wealthy. And um, he liked art, and he collected art and art treasures and stuff because he could do that. And he collected them from all around the world. And one day he found uh, that a description of some really valuable art items that he felt, I have to have those, right? I have to have those. But anyway, he, he, he knew he had to have them, so he sent his representative, his agent, overseas to find these art pieces. After months of searching, the, this, this agent reported that he finally found the treasures. And Hearst said, well, where'd you find the treasures? He says, well, they're in your own warehouse. They're there already. See, he'd been searching frantically for treasures that he already owned. We own, by the grace of God, the resurrection of Jesus in our spirits. We own them already. Let's quit searching for other stuff to help us. We own the resurrection of Christ. We cannot be unaware of what we have. Okay? He, the, I, I'm reading this, this illustration. He would have saved himself a great deal of money and trouble if he just knew he already had the treasure. And I know you guys are maturing spiritually. Some of you are here, there, and everywhere, but don't look for power and strength elsewhere. Christ can give you all you need if you surrender to him. I don't know what you're going through. Some of you are going through some stuff. What is it, what is it compared to the resurrected Jesus? Nothing. I heard another story. Today's story time. I heard another story. I'll be done here, and I'm on the last page. Okay. This kid named Danny Simpson, he's 24 years old, and he was sentenced to six years in jail for robbing a bank. And Danny got six years for stealing $6,000, okay? But the gun that he used in the robbery ended up in a museum because the gun that they used for was a 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic turned out to be an antique made in 1918 by the Ross Rifle Company, and it was worth $100,000, You know where I'm going with this, don't you? If he had known what he already had in his hands, would he, would he rob a bank of 6,000 measly dollars? $100,000. And Christians, we live like this sometimes. We spend our lives in our own energy or mental whatever, and we have the resurrected creator of the universe living in our spirits, ready to unleash his power in us when we need it. It's available morning, noon, and night. So grab hold of it, yield to it, depend on it, trust in God in faith, and I'm going to go to the last thing here. We have a God of peace, protection, and power. Can I hear you say amen? Isn't this great? Last one, we have a God who gives us purpose. 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 Is that not a powerful word? The purpose-driven life. Sold a lot. A lot, a lot of cop Millions. People want purpose. There is a voracious desire for purpose in our world today. I was reading this week. I think I have it here somewhere. I was reading this week about that guy 
by the name of Roski. And he, oh, here it is. And he, he was the guy that was going to try to kill uh, the Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. Did you read about this? And I guess I, was, I read this, and this blew my mind. A search, when, he, when he got there, a search of a suitcase and backpack revealed a black tactical chest, chest rig and a tactical knife, a pistol with two magazines and ammunition, pepper spray, zip ties, that doesn't sound too good, a hammer, screwdriver, nail punch, crowbar, a pistol light, and duct tape, hiking boots with padding on the outside of the soles, and other items, according to law enforcement. He was going to use all these to kill Kavanaugh and his family. Now listen. The criminal complaint states that he waived his right to silence and believed killing the justice would, quote, give his life a purpose. I just went, whoa. This world is stark. Is the more God recedes from the world, the more hunger there is for purpose and meaning. Now, not all searches for purpose and meaning are that nefarious. But you know what? We have a purpose as Christians that is infinitely better than uh, that Roski or anybody else on earth. Our purpose is to glorify uh, God through Jesus Christ. That's our purpose, okay? It says it right here. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. That's our purpose in life. Not just to raise good kids or, uh, or to uh, have a, a, a lot of square footage in our house or, or drive a brand new car. And, and really, none of those are bad things. But to, this is about the last thing I'm going to say is this. We should ask every day, is what I'm doing and thinking and saying and acting and watching glorifying to God? Is, is everything I'm doing today bringing glory to God? It's funny, when we set the bar that high, our walk with God just accelerates to a greater purpose and meaning than just walking in and out of a church once a week or twice a week or reading our devotionals, which are great. That's great. But when we ask ourselves, is what I'm saying, doing, watching, thinking, how I'm acting, is it glorifying to God? Just think of what, what, what a great way to grow spiritually, right? What a great way to testify to the world and to fellow Christians uh, all that is good because we're constantly questioning ourselves, is what I'm saying, is, what my, my, is my purpose in me to bring glory to God? Is that true of you now and me? I'll tell you, when you ask that question, it's revolutionary. The hard thing is just asking it daily, moment by moment. I'm not kidding you. I'm trying to do this. It's a battle. But when I click on the tube and something really cruddy is on, am I going to glorify God? Or on the computer, or um, uh, how I treat my lovely wife, or how I treat you, or how when I'm driving. <laughs> that one hit home, didn't it? 
is, is, is what I'm doing, saying, acting, watching, thinking, glorifying to God through Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's kind of where we'll end it today. This is the God that we serve, the God of peace, protection, power, and the God who gives us purpose, glorifying him and enjoying that as one of the catechisms says, I think it's the Westminster, help me, Brian, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I got it right. One of, not catechism, one of the, yeah, okay. If you're not a Christian here today, what more could you ask for to receive a God of peace, protection, power, and purpose through Jesus Christ? I don't know. I can't offer anything better. If you're not a believer, repent from your sins, change your mind about your sin, and turn to God. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to turn in repentance. Trust that Christ is God and he's been risen from the dead. Receive him as your Lord and Savior and drive a stake in the ground to follow him forever. Father, we thank you for this benediction, for who you are. We are so blessed. We're so blessed to sit here in church and sing and hear your word and tell us the privileges that we have and tell us the God who loves us and shepherds us all the time and the God who has power for us and has rescued us from trying to deal with life ourselves in our own strength. And then you give us the highest purpose in the world, Lord, to glorify you forever and ever in all that we say and do. Seek to do that. Thank you. And if there is someone here that's never made that true commitment to Jesus, may this be the final point of conversion for them. And may you flood their heart with Christ through faith. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.